Trista, I want to thank you for taking this time this morning to be here. Thank you for having Very me. Early. And it's a beautiful, nice wet day today, too. Yes, it is. Sometimes we need like rain. Okay, so a lot of times we need rain. Yes, I would, yes. I wouldn't have it any other way. I like the greenery and the fact that it keeps us nice and moist. I yes, love that. Absolutely, yes. So tell me, Tristan, let's start off from where were you born? I was born in a town called Camden, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Some people may or may not know it. Um, it's a pretty tough town. However, when I was born, it was a gentrifying town at that time. Was it what time? Gentrifying. So at that time, it was okay. very oh, gentrifying. economically diverse, right, town okay. at the time. And it was the home of Campbell Soup. Okay. So Campbell Soup was produced there. Right. Um, and then shortly thereafter, my parents were um, probably the first kind of generation of African-Americans that went to college, right, okay. in, in more in bigger numbers. Um, and so they were very upwardly mobile. My mom said a teacher. My dad, um, he went back to school, actually. Um, he was Vietnam for a while, went back to school. You went to Temple, where? Vietnam for a while. Vietnam, Vietnam for a while. while. Are your parents still doing well? They're doing very well. Right. Do you have, uh, siblings? Do you have siblings? Yes. Um, I have um, two sisters. Uh, they're twins. Are they older or younger? Younger than me. So I'm the years, oldest. How many years difference? Five years difference. Okay. Are you guys close? Uh, now we are. We were not so much when we were growing up. Okay. <laughs> but, mom and dad but now are still, we are. Mom and dad are still together. Yes. Still together. Okay. They just we're, celebrated. Oh goodness, like right before the pandemic, 50 years together. Well, that's 50 years. Years. How old is your dad? I'm just curious. He was born in 1945, so that well, would be much, much older than me. He'll be seven years, mm -hmm. I guess, yes. Um, right. And my right. mom is older, she's nine months older than my dad. Oh, that right? Yes. That's why they're still together. Yes. A <laughs> <laughs> little older, a little wiser. Who knows? Yes. But yeah, I, I lived, I, coming back, I, I grew up, I was born in Kennedy, New Jersey, but I moved into a town called Matlow, New Jersey. How old were you in that house? Uh, I was four. So your sisters weren't even, your sisters were born in Matlow, New Jersey. In Matt Laurel. Matt Laurel, New Jersey. Yes. Exit is, people from New Jersey would know this, exit four on the turnpike. So okay. New Jerseyans, we tend to right. designate ourselves based on our stop on the highway, you know, in terms of transportation. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, that's where I moved when I was four. It wasn't terribly easy because my family was the first black family in this town. So this is all white town? Yes, all white okay. town. Well, not it wasn't all white town. This it neighborhood is. within the town was all white. Okay. And uh, it was very difficult and I have a really incredible story when we were moving in, my mother had a real estate agent who was a Quaker. I don't know if you know much about the Quakers. The Quakers were very kind of progressive, very focused, much focused on human rights for hundreds of years. And uh, she was a wonderful woman. And when my mom, she found the house in this, this neighborhood, my mom and my dad found this house they loved, and they kept increasing the price. And this woman said, uh, they're doing this to you. It's most likely because of your race, but we're not going to let them do this to you. I'm going to loan you however much money you need, and you're going to get this house. What year was this? This is in 1979. Mm, okay. So 1978 to 1979 when mm -hmm. this happened. And the woman loaned my mother the house. My mother eventually, you know, my dad, my mom eventually paid, paid her back. Um, and, and I say my mom because my mother had a very close relationship with her. And it was just an incredible story. And at first, it was quite difficult because, you know, we were the only ones. We were harassed. I still remember at four years old being harassed. Um, well, tell me this. So when, you went, so when you went to school, what was it like for you at school? Uh, it wasn't easy. It, it was okay. 
I think okay, okay is the best word. I had friends. I had. Well, some you didn't know anything who, else. That was the first time you yeah, went to school. Yeah, I I didn't know anything else. I again, I was always the only one. Okay. But in many ways, for me, that strengthened me in the kind of and and probably is the reason that I'm here where I am now in many ways because I got used to being the only one. I got used to functioning. I understand what you're saying. I understand. What about relatives? What about your relatives? My relatives and my grandma. My mom's mom were very close. My dad's parents were in Pittsburgh. My uh-huh. mother's mother was in Philadelphia. Okay. And uh, my my mom actually came from a broken home. Her parents were divorced at a young age. My grandmother since after that remarried, and she was living in Philadelphia. My grandmother she's since passed on now, but she was just an absolute rock for us. You know, she when my mom couldn't because you know, she had to work too, right? She right. had to work. Then my sisters came. Then I came. My dad actually worked. For a lot of my upbringing, far from home, because he he worked it, he worked uh, in transportation. So he wasn't trains. there all the time. So he wasn't there all the time. Um, he was he was a, he was an office worker, right? He just had to travel to work. Okay. So we either had to go up to New York, or he had to go to Philadelphia, or he was walking working long hours. So it was quite difficult for him, I think, to be there. And, and back then, it was you know the roles between men and women were very different, right? Yes. Um, and my grandmother was often there to pick up slack. She so she came work. over to your home and she yes. was there with you. Yes. So did she raise she you could. up until how how old do you think? So my mother, of course, my parents were raising me, but my my grandmother, right. my grandmother was working too at the time. But when she could, she would come over and help. And she was just always there up until the point where I went to college. I went to, I went off to school. Is she still alive? Yes, she was still alive. She she I mean, passed away oh. when my son was born ten years ago. So she was mm-hmm. in her eighties when she passed okay. away. Um, she, well, she, she, ma- she through, said she wasn't married, right? She, but by that point, she wasn't because her, her husband passed away. That I see. was her I see, yeah, I see, step grandfather. That's interesting. Um, but she, she lived into her eighties, which she, unfortunately, towards the end, she had dementia, so it was difficult at the end. Oh, I see. But you know, her, my great grandmother passed away in her fifties. Yeah, did so you know your, you knew your great grandmother? I didn't on my mother's okay, side. Okay, okay. She passed away before I was born. Right. But I, I, I just like to tell that story because I think a lot. That you know, healthcare and proper care for people makes a whole makes a complete makes a bit, difference well, see, we're in, a in terms of our longevity. Right, right. Yeah, but you wouldn't know yeah. any difference if yes. you hadn't traveled. Exactly. Yes. That's what makes exactly. all the difference. And yes. when you go back, I think it's really interesting. When you get outside the forest, then you can see the trains. Yes, you can. And in my sixties, I finally came up with an analogy about how I feel about America. Mm-hmm. Right now, you grew up in America until you were age what? I grew up. I left the U.S. when I was twenty-four. Okay, so, so you, my whole upbringing was in the U.S. Right, so pretty all, much in the same adolescence all the way up. Pretty much in the same town. Okay, most but of now uh, some of the people, a lot of the people, are your friends because yes. they know you're the one black kid there, the one they know, whatever yes. black family. Yes. Did the other black families move in? Uh, later on. So by the time my sisters on. got to high school, I think one of the main differences issues was that there wasn't sufficient housing. Right, so there was. I think there was a, a concerted effort to keep people out at that time. Okay? I understand. But I think also you need certain types of housing, right? You need people. Maybe if people have lower incomes, you need townhouses, right? I just, you I know what I'm saying? I so mean. even if that family is intact, it's just maybe their income level isn't necessarily as high as other people's. Um, a lot of people in that town had been there a long time. Um, there was actually a history. The interesting thing about this town, Mount Laurel, was it was also a stop on the Underground Railroad. So there was a history of black like families, and so there still is. Okay. But uh, not but very not many. But not where you not where you live, though. Not, not in my part of the town. Not in your part of the town. If you went, 
if and you the, went across the tracks, yes, you could say that. If right. you went a kilometer away, yes, right there, there it was. Yes, I and so I grew up with with some some black friends, absolutely, but not that many. But were they so. at your school? Yeah. So at my school, there were a few of us in the school, um, and you know, it, the '80s was a was a, just a funny time, I think, in just, terms of of transition from the world what was before to the world that is now, and the world that is now is far from perfect, right? But that was the time when we were starting to see a little bit more representation, right, on TV I see, I see, or in music or these types of things. But okay, it was still, but in many ways, I was still kind of the odd one out, right, for for much of my life. And I think in many ways, this kind of just, you know, I, I think it's hard to for kids to go through that, right? It's really difficult, but it strengthens you in some ways. Too, it, can, you know? it can, or it can make you go crazy. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a piece of yes. it's like a piece of paper. Yes. It doesn't take a whole lot. Yes. I had someone that I just had on the podcast the other day. Right. Opposite, the only yes. white kid in all black neighborhood. Ah, interesting. He said he was in New York, always picked on. Yes. Always, you know, people. He, said, he called it being mugged, but him being mugged is someone taking your lunch money. Yes. That's what we call being mugged. And I said, listen, why would you expect any difference if you're around kids that have been traumatized all their lives from birth? Yes. I was in my true. 60s before I realized why I love America so much, mm-hmm. yet I can't live in America. Mm. And the reasons being is that I use the analogy of it's like growing up with abusive parents. That's all you know. You love them. Yeah. They kiss you, they hug you at times, and then they do something that traumatizes you. Yes. They show you a picture or something, or they say something to you, or... And it triggers they, you. They, yeah. yeah, they do that. It traumatizes and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah. And then they give you money so you can travel. Yes. You travel to other countries, and you find out not all parents treat their children the same way my parents treat mm. me. And one other thing, my parents have told everybody what they do to me. That also hurts. Adding insult to injury? Yeah. And I'm supposed to pick which one do I like the most? Fox, CNN? They're all telling the world what they do to me. Yes. That, you're talking is. about adding insult to injury. Yes. But I love them. I'll defend them with my life. But I can't live with them. Yes. Yeah, That's I how I look that, at America. I think that, I think I would say that, you know, I left the U.S. when I was 24 years old. I had never considered leaving the U.S. You know, I was very much... I grew up in a kind of, like I said, you know, my, my family was doing pretty well. We were considered what was called black bourgeoisie, right? And so I always assumed that I was going to live that life. I was going to, you know, marry somebody who looked a certain way, lived mm-hmm. in a certain type of town, maybe mm-hmm. go to Martha's Vineyard in the summer, have well, a house a certain, in a certain did way. You think the person, did you think the person was going to be black? Of course did I did. You? Absolutely. Wait, 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 wait. But everyone you saw, you had crush. How could you have crush on a little black boy if there were no black boys in your school? It, <laughs> it, it, I had crushes on little white boys too. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. There's a difference between what I might think I like and what I'm allowed or I believe I'm permitted to like. Right? Oh, I hear you. So I life you. tells you See? that you're supposed to. And also you have to remember, I was also, a, you know, and I am, a darker-skinned woman. And right? we have the same, right. Yes. So I, my perception was I was going to marry a guy who looked a certain way, and right. we were going to do this and that. But who I ended up marrying, what my life ended up being, completely different. I hear you. I would never have envisioned that for myself. And I always like to think that you know you go through life and people and God and put things and people in your life 
to kind of show you a different path. And I, and I took a totally different path. Although my mother always says, now she says, of my three daughters, if I had known that anyone was going to be living in, around the world like you do, Trista, and working, it would have been you. She, I guess she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Your sisters, you know? what are they doing now? Oh, so I have, so they're both still in the U.S. I have, they're twins? Yeah, they're twins. Are they fraternal? One, or they're they fraternal. They're fraternal. very okay. different. Okay. You, you wouldn't even know in high school. When they were in high school, people didn't even know they were sisters. Sisters, okay. Imagine this. I one you. looks a lot like me, and the other one doesn't. It looks okay. more like my dad's. Was it because of color-wise, too? No, they you just know, don't I mean, look different. They don't look alike at all. Okay, and they're very different in terms of personality, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and so I have one. She's uh, she's a salesperson. Uh, she works in the U.S. She's doing very well. Um, and she's you know she lives outside of uh, Cincinnati. And I have another one who's living in outside New York, in Jersey City. And she works actually for Nintendo, which is kind of interesting. Right? She works for Nintendo in New York. Um, and she does marketing and sales for them. Um, they're both single. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm the only one who's married. And I'm the only one. Who, I have the only grandchild. Right, too, so your parents just covered your kids. Yes, yes. You, you only have, hard you have, being that you have one child. I you have, have one son. son. Right, yes. your son. So they, yes. they covered him. He comes. Yes. And he's a little king. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's a great kid. And so, yep. So my sisters and I were very close now. But growing up, we were not, right? Because... They're five years younger than me. They're twins. Twins are very mischievous. <laughs> you know, anybody who has multiple children right, at one time will tell you. Um, and I was the oldest. And I was also growing up, I was a very serious child. I was very, and maybe because of this trauma that you mentioned, right, of having but to you, Does that resonate with live you, in this, what Yeah, I'm having to live in this world and you can't be too loud and you can't be too aggressive and you can't be too this and you can't too you have to. You have to wear a mask most of the time, right? And I was very controlled. I was very conservative. I don't mean from a political perspective, but I mean in terms of my behavior. I, even Wait, when you I went mean, to you self-controlled, or you felt that self-controlled. Okay, you I mean you were very, very controlled. I put a lot of control on myself. Right, just to be careful um, because you were walk. One yes. guy said to me this way: He always felt like because he grew up in the same environment. Yeah, yeah. The difference is he's not African American. His parents came from Nigeria, from um, okay. Kenya. Yes, and he got the talk, which I've never yes. got. Yes, maybe you did. I don't yes. know, but I never got the talk. He said, but his talk was different. Mm. Interesting. Because he's not African American. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Really interesting. Let me ask you this. So you said that you were very reserved. He said he was walking. The thing, the term he used was walking on eggshells. He was yes. always walking on eggshells. Yes. And it wasn't until he got here that he was able to feel like there's this. I fit in this space. Yes. And for me, done. that was so. After I should say, so after I finished high school, I went to University of Pennsylvania. I was always this type of kid that was like. I'm doing that, and okay. that's what I'm doing. Were you more academic or were you more physical? I was academic, for sure. Academic. You didn't get into um, the physical things, the sports? Not really. I My mother forced me to play basketball once. It was a disaster. I was a cheerleader in high school. I was captain of the cheerleader squad because I was like, that's what I should do. Being a cheerleader is a good thing to do. You get to be cute, and you get to be this, and you get to be smart, and you get to whatever. So you know, it was for, that's kind of as sporty as I got. But I, when I was 11 years old, roughly, I said, I want to go to University of Pennsylvania, 11. And I ended up going to University of why, Pennsylvania. Why University of Pennsylvania? I think because it, at first, they had a really good, at that time, they had a really good journalism school. And for some reason, I got in my head, I wanted to be a journalist. I'm not a journalist, right? Although I write now, so maybe some ways, a little bit I am. Um, and I, that's what I wanted to do. And as I went through high school, I got a boyfriend who was in another town. He actually was a town from a town called Willingboro. Okay. And Willingboro, it's a black town. So he obviously yeah. was black. 
Yes. Okay. And so this was interesting because his whole conception, it was really good that I had that experience, even though my dad didn't like him so much. Um, but it was good because I got to see what being black was like in a predominantly black place. Because he took you there at times. Yeah. I used to go to hang out feel? with his How'd friends. How did it feel? Um, it felt, first of all, I mean, he, he felt like I was, at that time, he felt I was super attractive, right? So he would like show me off. So this was a new thing for me, being shown off. I would never have been shown off before, right? So there was a part of me that liked that. But then I also saw that, you know, he, I, that was the first time anyone really talked to me about injustice, really talked to me about history and what we had been through as a people. I, I had kind of grown up, my parents exposed me to that, absolutely. I was, but they didn't push it on you. But yeah, exactly. I so and, and, my, and of course, my parents are trying to um, exist in this world, right? They're doing so they're the same thing you do, right? It's the right? same thing, right? Um, they don't dad, want to say something to you that you might say that could get you in trouble. Exactly. His dad was actually a in the Black Panther Party when he was not at that time, but years before. Okay, and so he went on to become a stop, I think it was called a shop steward in a factory uh, yeah. in Philadelphia. So he was very, I remember, like brash, and he was just totally different than my dad. My dad is such a, you know, super intelligent, intellectual, reserved, this guy with lots of dignity, right? And this other gentleman, he had dignity in his own way, say, right. but he was just very tough. And he wasn't going to accept yeah, what he was he told was, to accept. He was, he was confrontational, right? If he and, needed to be, right. And this, I thought, was such an interesting thing for me. It was important for me to see that. And I think my, my parents were worried I was going to, I don't know, get pregnant or whatever. But I, like coming back to what I said before, I was entirely too controlled of a child to let that happen to me. I was like, I'm doing this. And so I went off to college. And actually, before I was going to college, I was going to kind of go to this school near my boyfriend. And my dad was like, it's not going to happen. You're not doing that. You know, he was like, you, that school there, he's not a bad school, but you go to a better school. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to what I wanted was University of Pennsylvania. And so I applied to Ivy League school. I did not think I was going to get in. I got in. And of course, my dad is like, this costs a massive amount of money. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? She's like, pushing you. Ah. Maybe you can go with your boyfriend now. Get exactly. closer to So we, you know, My they goodness. paid some. I eventually paid some. So I went to school. I graduated. Just studied what? Just studied what? I studied. Uh, studied. I went. I was in Wharton undergrad. So I went in studying accounting. Right. This is such a funny For story. For what reason? Because I thought that accounting was a good job to have. It was a good, stable job. Okay. Okay. And so then, after about two years, in, I was like, I hate this. I hate accounting. It sucks. It really is just boring. I didn't want to do it. So I go home to my parents and I said, I was sitting at the table. I remember sitting with my mom. She was there that day. I think my dad was at the store or something. And she said, I said, Mom, I'm thinking about changing my major from accounting. And she was like, I was like, but I, I might want to change some marketing. And my mother was like, what? I don't care. Just as long as you graduate, I don't care. You graduate, you can support yourself. Do whatever you want. Do whatever right? you want. But she you had like, an idea that she might yes. be really concerned because you're thinking, you know, county to help the family. Exactly. Right. But my mother, like I said, she's a school teacher. My mother taught second, third, fourth grade kids. That was her world. She knew nothing about business. And, or any of that stuff. You right. know, she didn't she care. She just wanted to make sure she you just had wanted, something. She, she said to me and my sister, she said, you don't have to do anything, but you have to get a college education. She was like, you're going to school and you're going to graduate, end up, and you're going to support yourself eventually. That's it. You can do whatever you want, but you had better do that. So I went to went to Penn. I graduated from Penn. While I was in Penn, I pledged sorority with MAKA, um, historically black sorority. 
Of my generation, Gen Xers, we are, well, now we're, we're getting kind of old, but we are like a, at our time, we were considered slackers. We were, this is a generation of gangster rap and, um, oh, and yes. hip hop and uh, grunge and, you know, and, you know, fight the power. People were very outspoken, you know, grew up with Spike Lee movies and this type of thing, right? And I went to campus and it was an absolute revelation for me, right? I remember the first year there was this guy, there's this basketball player, I knew, knew him very actually, and he played for Penn. And he went on to play for the Sixers actually, for a short period of time. And um, this guy wrote this article in the Daily Pennsylvanian saying that this basketball player got in because he was a basketball player and he was, he was black and his grade point average wasn't the same as everyone else's. He wrote a whole article about that. So the this black is white student guy union, did this. The white guy yes, did this. Okay. Yes. So um, the you know the black um, student union, which I can't remember the name, is escaping now. It's awful. Um, basically, the next day, coordinated and got up and stole every single newspaper on campus and threw it in the trash <laughs> before people could even get it. Yes, they got up at three four a.m. stole every news, and it was like an absolute scandal at that time, right? But I think it's so, you know, I think the thing that's so interesting about that is that, like, I feel that as people get older, we tend to very much criticize young people. Oh, I don't know what they're doing. Oh, they're, they're this, they're lazy, they're not, whatever. They're, they're talking out too much, they're too much this, they're speaking too loudly. But this is what young people are supposed to do. You know, this is like the time in your life when you can kind of do a crazy thing, when you can speak and say what you want without having to worry about losing a job or having to worry about you know, all these other things that we as adults have to worry about, right? Because we have bills to pay, we have kids to take care of. And I felt like that was my time in, my, in life to kind of be around people who were willing to say crazy stuff and do crazy things and fight and debate and what have you, right? Um, and then eventually you, you get older and you settle down and you don't do that. Well, I don't know now if that's with social media if that's the case anymore. But, but it, at that it, time, still, it still is, don't you, you think? Know, to an extent. I think older people now maybe sometimes we say But Trista, what but, you're saying is so, is so profound and yeah. so true because, yeah. for example, all the wars are fought with average 18-year-olds. Yes. The reason why is if a guy is 40 and you said he takes, he say, hey, hey. <laughs> I can't take that risk. First bullet comes this way or something, he's, I'm, I'm done. Running. <laughs> yes, I'm running. I'm done. Running. Why? I've got too much yeah. to lose. Yeah. I've been around life. I'm That's starting true. to like this. But when you're young, you have your body's changing, and yes. you think you're invincible. Yes. You think you're immortal. Yes. Yes. That's the reason why. And you're finding out who you are. You are finding out what you're willing right, to fight for. Right from wrong right? and everything else. Because yeah. most of the things that have yeah. been done in the world have been done by, by adolescents. Yes, and you know, absolutely. teenager wasn't even a term until, yeah. I forget what... It was the 19-something before the term yeah. teenager even existed. Ah, There's no such word. Yeah, interesting. That came into that. I want to say the 1940s or 19, late 1930s, the word teenager started. But yes. there was no such thing yes. before. Yes. You were adolescent, then you became an adult, period. Exactly. And because, the bad side of that is yeah. that energy can also be easily manipulated and harnessed for, for, for bad, bad things. For bad things, right? that's true. And we, we see so much of that, particularly these days. But, but I think for me, it was a time in my life, it was... I was learning to live on my own. I had periods, I had bouts of time when I just, I struggled with relationships at that time quite profoundly in ways that when I see young women today, I'm like, don't do that. Don't do please that. Don't, please, please don't, don't do that. You have your whole life ahead of you. You have so many things you can do. You know, like, again, like I said before, remember I said, 
I had this whole plan, right? And so my plan too was I was going to get married at a certain age and whatever. So you have to do things according to plan. And then, but my life showed me that actually life isn't about a plan, right? It's about spontaneity. It's about learning how to, to deal with the cards you're dealt, whatever those cards are. And, you know, and so I finished school. I moved back home with my parents because, you know, that's when people started. So to when do you that. say finished school, you did four years. Four years. I finished in four years. And you got your degree in. Expensive. I got my end of the <laughs> in marketing and human resource management. Okay. Okay. All right. And I started working with General Mills. Uh, I was I mean, a immediately because your mom showed you your plate with your name on. She said, "You remember what I told you, Trista?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you better get your own exactly. money. Exactly. <laughs> so I got a job with General Mills as a salesperson, working in trade marketing. Okay. Um, which was a really interesting job because I that was I, there were two things that were really interesting about that job. There were three things. That was a period between the time when. People used to sell things like cereal to supermarkets on a golf course, right? So the deals you made were golfing. Oh, oh, yes, even, yes, 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 yes. Even in you. that profession, right? Like that happens a lot you. in banking or other things. I got things. you. I got you. To sell cereal or yogurt to a supermarket chain, you better be on. You go out and you golf or whatever. Right. So what this meant was that all, most of the salespeople, with the exception of two at that time, were principally men, potentially white males, right? Usually older, right? So in their 50s and their 60s, right? And they had secretaries. This is 1996. Like, every one of them had secretaries who would answer the phone, For them, right. right? And this is when most companies were moving away from that. Most companies were moving to a model where that's kind of, you don't want to do that. That's kind of superfluous or whatever. But it was like this transition. And then I remember this guy who was a super nice guy. He was the head of sales. Now, where are you again? Now, tell me where you were again. Corsham, Pennsylvania. Corsham, Pennsylvania. And I was living in New Jersey with my parents, and I moved... And I would tra travel every day. I would drive every day. How long of a drive is it? It was about 45 minutes okay. every day. Okay. Um, over the bridge to Georgia, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Um, and I remember that at some point, the guy who was the head of sales had a stroke. He was probably about 60 at that time. It was very sad. Very sad. He, was, he survived the stroke, but he couldn't work anymore. They brought in this younger guy. And the next day, he was like, voicemail. There was no voicemail when I started no voicemail, can you imagine? And I think by that time, a lot of people had voicemail, right? But it was just very old school, even, right. even, even consumer products. And so, and so I did that, and that was one thing that was interesting. So just, it was very male-dominated. And now if you look at consumer products, it's not like that anymore. It's a lot of women. Because they eventually figured out, well, you know, most 80% of our customers are women. Maybe it would be a good idea to have some women in these companies. And so, you know, so mostly male, no technology. Um, and then I think the third thing was that it was, you know, you would kind of, it was also like because tech, nobody used technology. When I went out into the field, I eventually went out into the field and was actually working as a sales rep, which meant I worked from my house. Okay? Okay. okay. And the job was so easy at that time. What were you so selling? Cereal. Oh, you, was, oh, you were yeah. selling, you had to sell yeah. the cereal too. And I had two reps, two reps that reported to me. So I was only maybe 23, 24, and I had two people reporting to me. Both of them were older women. Okay. That was super interesting okay. too. But I was working from my home, and that was the start of people having technology in their homes, right? And working with technology in their homes. And because I had kind of grown up with computers, I knew how to use it. So I was done by noon every day. Right. So I would work, I would go see my customer, I would do my trade, you had to do this kind of trade plan. Um, done by noon, I would kind of turn on the TV, 
Good Times was always on it. It was really funny. And then I go to the gym, and then I come out. I was in the best shape of my life, right? Not because I was 23, 24, because but because it was so interesting because technology was starting to infiltrate the workplace, but yet there were still whole generations of people who never really used computers much in their lives. And so everything was organized around an old way of working, but because I had this new way of working, I was very efficient at it, okay? So I did that. Um, after a while, I said, you know what? I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And so I decided I wanted to go to business school. Once again, I said, well, where am I going to apply to? I want to be in marketing. I'm going to apply to the best marketing school. Maybe I'll get in. I applied to Kellogg, you know, at North, Northwestern, yes, right? Yes, yes. I got in. So I get into Kellogg. It's a massive amount of money, but I get loans and all this stuff, fine. And I was like, I'm going. I had a scholarship somewhere else, actually. But because it was Kellogg, and because I go to the best, and this is my plan, I ended up going to Kellogg. I go, I meet, you know, of course I meet lots of other people, it was cool. But then, the end of the first semester, I met this guy. And I was at this party, we had this strange party. It was a re it's, I think they banned it because it eventually it was such a liability to have this party for the school. They had to ban it. It was, was called it? Brand Challenge. And basically what would happen was companies would provide products and you would do games. Like the students organized it in the school. But of course, you know who were the sponsors. Anheuser-Busch. Oh. And, you know, and like Smirnoff and okay, these companies, I'm, right? I'm, I'm thinking cereals and stuff like that. No. Twinkies, hostess so, Twinkies. And, Eventually, they had to get food. rid of it because it was such a liability. But, but there are so many things that we used to do in school that no one would do now, right? Even in universities. Like, I remember when I was in high school, there was a smoking section in the high school. Okay? Yeah, in the high school. Okay. Yeah. Things like this we do not do anymore. Anyway, so we had this thing, and everybody's drunk, of course, because this is this thing, right? And I wasn't because I didn't really drink very much. Um, and this guy comes up to me, and I, he, he was like, I know who you are. And this guy comes up to me. And he's a white guy who comes up to me, right? I know who you are or whatever. And I'm like, is this guy hitting on me? I was so shocked. Okay, okay. I had never in my life. Now, how old are you now? You're 20? I'm 24, 25. 24, 25. Okay? You didn't have a boyfriend at that time? No, I did not. Okay. So I was dating different people around that time. Okay, it wasn't okay. working out or whatever. So he comes up to me. He's hitting on me. I was completely shocked. I had never had a white man in my life hit on me. Never. But you you realized that's what he was doing? Yeah, I was first a little confused. Because okay, <laughs> yeah. if he was really he hitting like, on you, if he's trying to play yeah. with you or something. And then he's like, "Do you have a boyfriend?" And I said, "No." And then he's like, "Well, that's crazy." He's like, "If you if I was interested in you, I would keep you know calling and treating you well until you said yes." And then he was like, "Would you go out with me, like on a date?" And I said, "I don't know you." I have no idea who you are. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see each other around school. And we eventually went out on a date. And that guy is my husband. All right. I ended so up marrying good. him. All I'm right. still married to him. Been married to him over 20 years. All right. Okay? So we celebrated right. our 20th anniversary last year. But, but, but you had some rocky times during the dating time, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, and actually the biggest I'm sure you, problem. I'm sure you threw some of that Panther thing on him, too. Say, well, yo. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The biggest problem was I tried to explain to him, because, you know, in the school, you know, there's the black students, right? And the black students, we were very much a tight-knit group, okay? Now, none of the guys, and they might say something different today if you ask them, right? So you may want to contact them and ask them, but none of them wanted to date me, okay? But as soon as 
this guy started dating me. They were like, why is he dating you? What's going on? Now they're interested. Now, now they're, they're interested. interested. Now they're accusing him of doing things. You can't date him, Tristan. I'm like, who do you think you are? Yeah. And so I told my now husband this. And I said, this is going to be difficult. I'm telling you this is going to be He was like, what are you talking about? He's from Northern California, okay? Oh, he's a Cali, like yes. me. Yes. And so... <laughs> he believes so. I remember when I, we were going to meet his parents. Father-in-law actually was a West Point grad. All right. Went to Wharton actually to get his MBA. My mother-in-law was a homemaker and then went back to school and studied nutrition um, and got her degree. And super, they're triathletes. They've done the Ironman multiple And they're still they're good. Super, they're doing well. They're doing that? well. I mean, they've had health challenges and stuff, but they're doing really well. How many children well. do they have? Um, uh, my, my husband and my, my brother-in-law. So they have two sons. And he's, he's younger than your husband? Yes. How many so years we're both difference? oldest children, me and my husband. Okay, so how many years difference is he from his brother? I think it's roughly five. Same, okay. same, same, as, same. Yeah, same. Mark and I, his name is Mark, we right. both are absolute first children. Like if you, our behavior, how we act, how we act with each other, we are totally first. What you're first. expecting, right, of course. I don't, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're the first. Exactly. But anyway, coming back to when okay. we met, so, so yeah, so it was difficult because because it was like people were very skeptical of him. But, the, but by the end, everybody loved him. What's right? by the end? How by the end by of the end? two years. Okay, two the years, end okay. Of, end of MBA. Because he went through cool all this stuff and he, yeah. he stuck out? and he, he was stuck? a cool guy. And, yeah. and my husband actually, it's so fascinating because now he's a venture capitalist, right? Now he's very orderly and very orderly. But he was a reggae DJ. A reggae, what? A reggae DJ. Wait, did he have the accent? Yeah, hey, man. No, he, he did not. He, he did can not do, do, that. He can do that. He sort of. He was okay. DJ Dub Marcus in, in Chicago, and in Chicago at that time, they only had one reggae radio station, and it was done by Northwestern. And he did it when he was he went to Northwestern undergrad, and he continued to do it. And it was just such a cool thing. thing. Of course, right? it would be. Of Super course cool. Be. He would take me to reggae clubs. I remember one time he was like, I, I told him like, you know, I was Christian, I go to church and stuff sometimes. Um. And so he's like, well, I'm going to take you to my church. And so we went to this church. I don't think it was really his church. But we did. And it was... A black church? Black Jamaican <laughs> church. And so the song sounded like reggae music. It was reggae so music. incredible. I understand. I understand. Um, but he was just such a change from anyone I knew, you know? And so but by the end of school, then this, this is another crisis. So the end of school, he comes to me, he says, Trista, I love you very much, but I want to go to Paris and become a venture capitalist. That's where the French comes in. <laughs> Okie dokie. What? I had never been to France. Now, how old are you this time? Wait, wait, you I'm guys weren't married yet. Were you, you weren't married yet, were you? No, we were not married yet. Okay, right. But we he were said... just dating. We were dating. We were not engaged. Okay? This is another thing, too, because I was like, so, I am not going to move in with you till you put a ring on it. That was your policy, period. That was my policy. Now, how long had you dated before? I think we were together about 18 months by that point in time. Um, and so I said wait, to him... Wait, he got engaged after 18 months? No, no, no. We no, yeah. were not engaged after okay, the 18 right. months, but he said he wanted to go after after business school. He wanted to move to France, okay. and he wanted to do venture capital, which right. is crazy for two reasons. One, because it was so far from home for me. But secondly, there wasn't really any venture capital in France. And does he speak French? Uh, he did because he, he, did, he, okay. he grew up as an expat kid, so he lived part of his life in Brussels. He lived part of his life in Tokyo. That's why part of the reason okay. we're here. And he lived part of his life in Brussels. And so that's where he learned French, and he continued with it. He went to he school went here? He did. He went to ASIJ for two years. What year? Years. Oh, gosh. 1980 to 1983? I taught there at ASIJ main campus from 77 to 80. Ah, you might have. I mean, might have he could have been seen. possibly crossed at Maybe. that time. Maybe. And I was still there. I had the gymnastics program ah. in the multi-purpose room. Yes. 
Um, that's interesting. Oh, yes. the world is so small. It days. is. It is. So, and I wouldn't know your husband if I saw him because I don't know who your, what your husband yeah. looks like. He's around here somewhere. He swims okay. a lot. Mark okay. Bivens. He's probably at the pool now. Um, but um, yeah, and so, but you know there was. But he, my husband is an extremely resourceful person. But what did he do? You did know? he go to France? Yes. But wait, he without, found. With, but without without you. Yes, he went without, without me first, and I said to him, I was like, look, I love you too, but I'm not moving to France until you propose to me. I'll go to London instead. Oh, you said that. Yes, I'll go to London instead. But he wanted to. Did he say he was going to propose to you? He wasn't sure. He wasn't sure at that point, right? He was like, I don't know. All this time. So I know so, they had to make so, you kind of. Yeah, so I was like, I'm not moving to France until you propose to me. I will go to London. So we were kind of close. So, yes. And so it definitely influenced my choice. And right. in some ways, looking back at it now, like how I am now, I would never have done that. It's a good thing that you're not the way you are now. Yeah. Exactly. It's a good thing that exactly. you're not the way you are now. But I would never be where I am now if I hadn't done that. That's exactly. I'm just saying. We, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I moved to London, and every and, and it was so great because it was it was the early 2000s. I didn't even have internet in my apartment, and I worked all the time. And I say all consulting is grueling, right? You changed companies. Yeah, I changed companies. To do what? I got a job, so I did uh, marketing consulting with Monitor Group, and. It was, for me, just, I worked so much. I would get up and go to the office. I would get there by 9. And this is London, right? I don't know if you've ever lived in London. No, I haven't lived there. The weather is so crazy that there's no point in even carrying. No, it's not even like this. This is like actual rain. London, it's like misty rain. So It's it's like going in different directions. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Exactly. I won't help you one day. Exactly. You're going to get wet no matter what. I remember like (laughs) these days it'd be like that. And I would get up and get there by 9. And I would be there easily until midnight. And I would call my mom sometimes, and, and that my mother yet hadn't like adjusted to, like and my mother always picked up the phone. Never my dad; he wouldn't pick up the phone at that time. Now he does, but um, but she hadn't adjusted to the time difference yet, right? Because Americans, you know, we don't really think about time difference, right? We we don't realize that actually the rest of the world has that time zone sometimes. Not always, but. You know, especially the time way time. it used to be, right? That's right. But now, now I think it's different, so right? Better. Now it's more different. We're more connected. We're more networked. Um, and so I call her. I'd be talking to her. She'd be like, wait a minute. What time? Is it midnight? Like, what? <laughs> She's like, why are you still I worked until one. I went home. I slept three hours. I changed. I got on a flight that next day to Switzerland. It was what? crazy. For your job? Yeah, for my job. How long did you do that? I did that for... Uh, the crazy hours I did probably for two or three years, but I did consulting in total for six years before I got headhunted into another job. In London. In London. Well, the first two years were in London, and then my husband proposed. Right. After when? After when? After two years, he. Okay, so you were there two years. After a year. After a year. It was after a year because we got married in two thousand two. Okay. Okay. And he proposed. Was it something that you expected? Did you know that was going to no, happen? No. And actually, he laughs at me because he says, he always tells people, when Trista asked me to marry her, I, she said no. And that's not what happened. What happened? I said, no, you're not serious. Like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was so shocked. I said, no, you're not no, serious. This can't be real. Because I was just shocked. But we got engaged. We actually got married in France. We had our wedding at... Um, in a, in a Protestant church, which is hard to find in France, 
a Protestant, just very Catholic country, right, in right. a town called Reims. And Reims is a town where they make champagne, where champagne comes from. Um, and no, champagne comes from Champagne. Well, it comes from the Champagne region, but right, this champagne town region, right. Makes is like the capital right. of the I got Champagne you. Okay. region. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and so we had our reception in a Champagne house, which was awesome. And I remember when we, when we he proposed this did idea. Your parents, did his parents, your parents? Yeah, were? everybody came. And so at first I was like, he, Mark proposed the idea of having the reception in the Champagne house. And so I said, well, you know, everybody's going to have to come, and, but maybe we should get married in New Jersey. He was like, this way. <laughs> We could get married in New Jersey, or we could get married in Champagne, and have and the and the. And you the seriously rule, said that you're seriously thinking about. Yes, it. the rule of the Champagne House was you can either no Coca Cola, no soft drinks, all the champagne you can drink, and some water. You can have water too, and red wine with the cheese. That was the rule. That was it. Period. But no, no, they were like because my no, somebody, so somebody was like, can we have Diet Coke? They were like, oh nope. no. No, 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 no. Hyper high six champagne. We're not gonna do that. No, yeah. no. But it was awesome, and it was cheaper than if I got married in the U.S. Because and, in France, weddings aren't weddings aren't a big business, right? right in the I U.S., understand. weddings are. They know, make, they're, they're it's, like a it's a way. business. It's a business. Yeah. So you, so you got two. Master. You got your two hours. Yeah, you get your two hours. But we, there, you stay all yeah. day till I know. We yeah. went home at four a.m. <laughs> I people got were you. like, I the Americans were like, "What's going on?" It's a whole event. It's a whole event. How many people came? How many people? So we had in total the wedding. It was smallish, like seventy people came. Oh, that must have been beautiful. But it was awesome. It was absolutely incredible. My grandmother was still alive then. She came as well. Did you? Um, I'm sure you video recorded some of it, even though the videos were kind of big. I don't know if we did it that time. I have pictures, tons of pictures. But okay, but I don't oh, know if we had video recorded. Yeah, maybe because maybe it still wasn't as easy. Yeah, what it wasn't year did you easy. get married? What year? 2002. You could have, but I you'd have to know somebody knew. But it would have been a, been been a big thing. I hear you. I hear. You. And um, but it was it was just absolutely awesome, yeah. right? And so then I moved to Paris, uh, which and the, the interesting thing was. And all this time, I was living in London, and I love I love my British friends, but I was just not really taken with the UK, right? London is a very you. Did you ever pick up the accent? No, I never. I didn't even. You didn't even try to. You didn't even try to. Why you thought that'd be kind of insulting? Yes, insulting, okay. a bit weird, and I, okay. I just couldn't do accents very well. <laughs> um, but um, but I just never really took to it. I, I think London is the kind of city like you you learned a lot. You discover it over time. It's huge. There's so many, just so much complexity. So many different areas. It's an incredible town. It's, like, it's, just like it's an incredible Paris. city, but it takes time. It's not beautiful when you see it. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Whereas Paris <laughs> is beautiful when you see it. It is so easy. Paris is easy to fall in love with, and it also can break your heart. That it's that kind of town, right? So I, we were going over, and I just loved. I think I just loved France. I loved everything about France. It was, comp I love the people. Would have debates and be okay after that. You right? know what I mean? Yes, and hug and kiss after yeah. that. No problem. Even yes. today, yes. it's hard. That's French. And, I, and when I That's go back, French. I have debates with people sometimes, and it makes me uncomfortable. But at the end of the night, people are okay with each other, right? Right, exactly. And they it's don't a hold that forever and ever. No, yes. no, it's not violent in the same way. You know, I love that people true. took their vacation, you know, and it was normal vacation. Even people who were super senior. I love that the food was so good. Oh, I love the it, wine. Isn't it? And, and yeah. no one gets huge. Yeah. People stay in good shape because they eat so well. Yeah. And they also and walk a bit more. And and, they yeah, do everything, yeah. yes. And they don't ask you if you want dessert. That's a taken. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It is, exactly. it is. Yeah, exactly. But it's, nothing, but it's stuff it. that your body can digest. Yes. 
I loved it. And it's I just, all that all so nice. And the language, this is why I think language learning too, there's a certain element of, you know, um, passion for the culture and the language. And so I was able to learn French. I, my French is still not perfect, but relatively decently without much formal education. So I didn't actually really take formal classes. I would just go to dinner parties and debate with people, right? And in France, I always tell people, people are like, I want to learn how to read learn how to speak French. I'm like, you have to learn about French politics. French Learning about French politics is by far the best way to learn language because so much of French society is connected to politics, right? In a way that the U.S. isn't, right? We, in the U.S., we're like, oh, politics, and we don't really like it, even though but we're very... Different, but it's different. Yeah, it's thing. different kind of politics. It's we're not... political in a different way. Mm -hmm. But people like to talk about it. They like to debate it. They like to... And they say, no, we don't. And I'm like, yeah, you do, compared to having grown up in a place where you never talk about it. We never talk about it in the U.S., right? Because it is so difficult. And it becomes, no, it becomes so heated and it can become yeah, violent. It's very so difficult, don't... exactly. You just don't. No, you just but don't. people just, you know, I learned, I would read the newspaper. I just learned, I learned words that I never knew existed. I, and how and... much how much of the English is really French? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Words. A lot. Deja yeah. vu. A lot, yeah. lot of the words we use yeah. are French. And we so you, rendezvous, which doesn't right. mean the same thing, what it actually, Americans think What's it that? means. Rendezvous. Rendezvous. We rendezvous. don't say that in America. So people, I remember when I was growing up, people would say like, a rendezvous was kind of like this liaison. Oh, like, rendezvous, you know, this, a rendezvous. Rendezvous, rendezvous. Yes. Yeah, we say rendezvous. We don't say yeah. rendezvous. Rendezvous, yeah. <laughs> but all that, means is, all that means is a meeting. That's right, of course. It's just a rendezvous. That's what it is. But that's it has this is. like kind of but we, intimate has, sexual a, connotation, which yes. is funny. Yeah. Right, but right, um, right. but yeah, right. so anyway, I learned French. I eventually moved there. I, I changed jobs. Eventually, I worked with Thompson Reuters, which is a... A, uh, right. it, it spun out now. It's called Refinitive, but a financial a market I didn't know at all. I was headhunted to do it because they wanted a good marketing and strategy person. I ran a di that a division for them for some time, and after six years, uh, we parted ways because you know they wanted to take job in a different direction, uh, and so I left. I did something totally different. I said I'm going to learn about technology. I'm going to become a blogger. So I became a tech blogger. Imagine. While you're in in France. France. Yes. Okay. And I, and I co-founded a blog um, with a gentleman who's a lot younger than me. He's a millennial. This was also a really good learning experience for me. Um, and he, uh, we co-founded this blog together and wrote about French technology in English. And at that time, um, France's startup scene was very small. Now it's huge. Now it's like a huge industry for France. But at that time, 2012, 2011, 2013, it was the beginnings, really, of it. And so it was incredible. I met all these really interesting people. I was writing. That really helped my writing skills because I was learning how to write and how to write quickly, have a point of view, write about something that's interesting for people. We also tried to do a media tech product as well, which didn't work out in the end anyway. But it was a great experience. It really brought me into the world of technology and new technology and venture capital and all of that stuff I knew nothing about, right? I did that for several years, and then after that, Mark and I decided that we, by the time we got our French nationality, so I have American nationality, I also have French nationality. How long did you have to live there to get that? Um, it changes a lot, so not, at that time was it was it? about five years. Five years, okay. And paying taxes, right. it's really important to pay taxes. Did you keep your U.S. nationality? Yes, so you can okay. have both. Um, and Mark so did the same, he kept both. He did both. the same, so he did kept both. And we had our son, our son was born in 2010. But he became French automatically. Yeah. He came French automatically because we had it. Oh, but if so he didn't, he wouldn't be. No. The rule is oh. he would have to reside for a period of time, and then when he turns 11, he can then ask he could for do, it. Then he could do but it. But because his parents by that time were French, French, he was technically, we laugh about it too, 
because we're like, he's actually French French. It's a term called Franco-Francais, which is like French. Yeah. And he was born in Paris. And so, but after a few years, we decided we needed to change. Um, and so we decided to move here. To wait, 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 wait. Why, why'd you pick Japan? Because my, my, <laughs> like I said, my, Mark lived here when he was young. So oh, okay. he had very fond memories of Japan. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. His aunt was Japanese. How long did he live here? How long did he live here? Just about three years. I mean, aunt, what do you mean his real, aunt is Japanese? His uncle had married a Japanese woman. So his, he grew his up. His uncle? Oh, his uncle, but yeah. not his father. Not his father. Okay, his okay. Uncle. Yeah. Right. Um, and he had very fond memories. You know, when you're, when you're, I think he lived between eight and 11. When you're that age, like it really kind of has a mark on you, I think. If you have a good age. place, it good yeah. or bad, that's right. And he, and in the eighties in Japan, that time was awesome, right? It was, like it it was, was before the bubble. Oh, everybody had money, burst. everywhere, you could do anything you wanted. You could wanted. run anywhere, anywhere do whatever you want. It was the beginning of, of technology, that's like, right. like that's video right. gaming. Well, Japan was way ahead. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, so yeah. there were huge arcades that's and, you know, right. so, 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 and we had been coming here on vacation a lot, and, and I loved it, and I just thought, I just needed a place that was more quiet. Japan is a very quiet place. You it know? is very quiet. And I needed a place where people... Oh, you mean, you mean in France it felt a little loud? Oh, yeah, France is a very, like I said, it's a very passionate country. It's a yeah, country. That doesn't mean they're not loud, loud. I mean, I can think like about the place. Loud, loud, not like, 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 this, like we go down no, to but, the south of the border in California, yeah. you go down to Tijuana. That's loud. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's no, I don't think France is like, no. I meant more, I, I love mean more there. like, um, I needed a place maybe a little bit more orderly. Okay, maybe, I can, okay, more, I can hear that. Where people didn't respond to stuff with much, much emotion. And now it's funny, having been here seven and a half years, I really miss it. I realize that my true nature well, you need that. Is yeah, I need okay. that kind of energy. Um, I miss that energy, right? I but I still. But you appreciate... have the francophone group here. Yes. They so I the... so I spend a lot of time. You know, my son say, goes yeah. to the French school, anyway. and I do spend a lot of time with with the French, French because they're yeah. very tight. Yeah, and I'm also I'm a part still... of a French book reading okay. club as well. Oh, that's nice. So I came here, and actually, and this is also another funny story. So we came, and we were deciding, okay, well, who's going to be the person who gets the visa? So I decided to start a company. Uh, consulting firm, and so I got the visa, and at that time my husband was the trailing spouse. At the beginning. Yes, okay. at the beginning. So you know, my husband was by the time he was a venture capitalist, he had done all these things and whatever. And it was so funny because coming to Japan, where your husband is the trailing spouse, is a kind of a thing that people don't immediately suspect. So they people were constantly asking, now "Did you come here for your husband? Did you come here for your husband's job?" I'm like, well, "Actually, came here for me. it was a joint decision, and right. actually, I was the one who was the, you know." And they're like, "Oh, wow, that's interesting." Now he, you know, we both have our visas, and he right. has he runs a venture capital fund here and everything. But in any event, so I did that. Started working consulting, did some projects, still do a lot of work with Europe, actually, some clients from there. But then I started to really get interested in the topic of sustainability. Right. And I met a gentleman, um, we actually met through, our, our children were in a mutual um, drama class together, and that's kind of how I met him. We started talking, and we realized we had common interest in this topic. And so I said to him, I was like, well, why don't we write a book? And the, the premise of the book was, we wanted to write a book that was going to be for people who really don't know anything about this topic, who are going to have to do something with it, right? And so what we decided to do was just interview people. We're like, well, why don't we just name a bunch of companies and see if they'll talk to us and we'll do interviews? So at first, I didn't think they were going to say yes. But then they were all like, sure. So we interviewed for the book. We interviewed Coca-Cola. We interviewed H&M. We interviewed Sony. We interviewed on sustainability. On sustainability. On what they're doing. On what they're mm -hmm. doing. And uh, we interviewed lots of smaller companies, startups. We interviewed um, the Rise Fund, which is the largest impact. I think it was, it's, uh, I think it's not KKR. I think KKR is fund, maybe their fund. But anyway, it was a large, very large private equity company that um, 
that has a venture fund. And we just didn't think they were going to talk to us. And they, they were like, sure, we'll talk about it. And so we, we did all these case studies in the book. And actually, it's become a really helpful tool for people. What's the right? name of the book? Leading Sustainably. Okay. And I would say at least every two months. I have can they get it on Amazon? Can yeah, they get, get it on Amazon. Amazon. Somebody in the world is like, I bought your book. Do you have it on Audible? Uh, Not yet? That's a good question. You should no. put it on Audible. Yeah, that's a put good question. Put it on question. because I listen yeah. to books more than I read yeah. them. Yeah. Because people want to, it's just so easy now. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But it's, but it, you know, so now I work as a sustainability advisor for companies. I advise a venture capital fund on ESG and sustainability integration. I work with companies on that topic. And I've also gone back to school. I do, I'm doing a part-time doctoral program. Okay. It's a joint program between Durham University in the UK and EM Lyon, which is a, a very good business school, um, called the Grand École Business School in France. It's a, yeah. And, wow. um, so it's going to take me four years to do this. And you're going to get it in what? In it's, so it's a doctorate in business administration, and I'm going to focus on my thesis around sustainability. Right. I'm thinking about doing something around sustainability and innovation because that's a really interesting area in sustainability. Mm -hmm. You know, people think about sustainability, they always think about you know, cost and regulations. And, and I think some of that is really interesting, too. And I do a lot of work, actually, in the regulatory front. But the whole innovative innovation side of sustainability and what we can create yeah, differently. Right, right. Instead of what we, yeah. It's Instead of trying to regulate stuff, what can we make better yeah. thinking about sustainability? Yeah. I mean, we have, right. to, we have to regulate to an extent because people need that's carrots true. and sticks. You know, that's, that's how that's human true. beings are. But the opportunity and things we can do differently is just endless. And it I is. think, you know, people who kind of push back and want to keep things the same way, like mm -hmm. human beings don't do that. We come up with new things. We come that's up true. with new ideas. We move things forward. We can't stop one thing from today and do something different tomorrow, yes, but we can work on new ways of doing things, new technologies, new ideas, new products, new, and, and there's a lot of people who are, you know, sustainability entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who are doing things in a sustainable way, they're doing incredible things. That's so true. So, there's one thing, Trista, I found that most people feel, and it's the truth, from yeah. being here and from all the organizations I've been a part of, no one likes change unless they're the ones doing it. Yes, yeah, true. Yes. <laughs> You don't mind yeah. changing stuff right now, but yes. if someone else comes does yes. that, you don't like that. Yeah. So the thing you have to do is what you've been doing, the book you have, getting with the people, yeah. and getting them excited and motivated so they feel like they are the ones yes. doing change. So I think your book is one good thing that people yes. should really, you guys should go out there, get the book, and really read it so that you can start to understand what sustainability is really all about. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to wait until it gets on Audible. Okay, yes. <laughs> that's the audible. next thing I do. It's a I very good point. If it isn't on there yet, I want to get on audible. Exactly. And the last thing I will say on my sure. topic is I talk to a lot of young people about mm -hmm. this topic. I've, I've taught, you know, seminars. I've taught a seminar at Berkeley. I've taught similar seminars, for example, at Temple. I've done several talks at Temple. I used to do some roundtables there. And, you know, honestly, young people are so engaged in this topic. And it's funny, I'll do some case studies, and the young people, I hate to say it, but they often do better. Because they don't have the same constraints around how business don't. is supposed to work. And they right? don't want to change. Look, they want it to be better as they get older. Yeah. We're thinking we're on the way out, so let's keep it the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got another 20, 30, and yeah. I'm out of here. Exactly. So that's that's the problem. Yeah. But the young people will be the ones that are going to push it forward. Yeah. It I has to be so. them. Yes, absolutely. They're the ones that are going to do that. Yeah. Trista, before we end, I'd like to ask this question. Yeah. This has been very interesting. I mean, yeah. I first time really talking to you yes. in depth. I talked to you when you first got here, yes. just for a little time. Yes. And this the second time we've really talked. It's yes. been wonderful. Yes. I'm gonna have to have you on again for sure. Okay, I'll be glad to come back. Trista, let me ask you this: If you could go back in time magically, mm -hmm. 
and talk to the younger Trista. Yes. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give her and how old would she be? Other than buy Apple. <laughs> that would be my first one. Remember in 2001, Make sure you get some Apple. No, but I would say I'd probably go back to probably the 13, 14 year old Krista, um, and I would say life doesn't happen. I would hate to say it because then I might not be here now, right? I might not be here in this spot now. And I think I'm in a wonderful place. I'm so happy with where I am in my life. But I think I would probably say live a little more. You know, don't be so controlled about everything. What would that be? When you say live a little bit more, what do you picture in your mind? I How picture like not having this, you know, detailed plan for everything. I was, I really had a detailed plan for everything. I think I would just say, you know what, accept that life is going to change. And yes, have some kind of broad ideas, but be okay with the change. And I, I think I would also say like travel, see things, go places. I remember um, when I was in, like for example, I never did study abroad when I was in college. That was a mistake. Absolutely should have done study abroad. I never even did, like, I remember before business school, there was this trip that they would organize for people to go on. I didn't do that. I was like, no, oh, I'm gonna do that. I need to just go, why didn't I do that? You know, the world is so enormous and has so many incredibly interesting things. I think that this is, you know, the idea of kind of even being in one country for the rest of my life is uncomfortable for me now, right? Like, I always, like, I go to France, I'm like, oh, it's lovely, but I miss Japan. I miss Japan. I'm like, oh, I miss France. You've seen my, it right yeah, now. exactly. And so, so I, tra I like traveling. I try not to, of course, too much. I try to do so responsibly because of my public footprint, right? Especially in Europe, I take trains and these types of things. But there's so many incredible things to see on this planet. And I think, as a younger person, I, I think I would definitely tell my younger self, you know, go see things. And I, fortunately, I didn't start doing that before I was much older, right? I was still pretty young, but I think I would have done it, done it sooner, so. Trista, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so, so much. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars. Because you're too blessed to be stressed.